0: Romans with chapter 1 and chapter 16. I think I speak, and I know I speak for Pam and myself both, when I thank the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ that we're back in the midst of Ted Tetelestai Phalanx in New Kensington, and we missed you, but we have many fond memories of our past 40 days, For it has been 40 days about since I last stood in this pulpit and yesterday and the day before both, at least in my own soul, I celebrated 39 completed years of faithfulness of our Lord Jesus Christ to me and to all of us and to this church. So we begin the 40th year today. And it's very appropriate that we hit Romans in earnest today, the last of Paul's epistles and the best in in many regards. Paul ended Romans with greetings, about 25 of them. He mentions 25 people by names. I'm not going to do that, but I am going to begin our Romans series with greetings. And first of all to greet you from my family and from my mother, and thank you very much for your effectual prayers. She went through a pretty tight squeeze while we were there, and my sisters and Pam and I and brother-in-law Jerry all surrounded her for quite a few weeks. I had the opportunity at the same time, every day without exception, to spend about three hours immersed in Romans and in prayer for Romans, that it would come forth to the glory of God and for your edification in this next series. I also want to send greetings from Florida. There's a little contingent beginning to flourish in southwest coast of Florida from Doc and Lynn Andrews. You know them well from their many visits here. They are fixed in their situation In Florida, we had an opportunity of very blessed fellowship with them, and they send their love and their greetings and their thanks for your prayers. They are, of course, more firmly situated in Christ Jesus, in his word, and in Tetelestai Phalanx. Also, greetings from another couple down there, Frank and Kathy Burns, both of whom uh, are very positive to the message and are also not only situated in Florida, but situated more firmly and permanently in Christ Jesus with us all, hid with Christ with us in God. They send their greetings. Frank Burns gave me both the coat off his back and the tie from his front one night. I'll tell you the story about that. But both of these couples have shown magnificent anonymous benevolence and beneficence toward Tedelesti church and toward all of us and we also receive greetings from them i want to thank and greet you all in the name of our lord jesus christ and pam and i were talking on the way down there's never a time when we experience the kingdom of god as when we're together face to face shoulder to shoulder rubbing elbows with you with the phalanx and so Greetings to you. Thank you for your not becoming AWOL in my absence, and at least being present in spirit. And I know they cherish their anonymity, so I'll say thank you, not to the four horsemen, but to the five smooth stones from David's satchel. And you were you kept this place sacred by your presence, by the word, and by coming here in Christ, with Christ in you. We're also saddened but gladdened by the passing of our beloved brother, Blaze, as you know, which has been mentioned several times in the messages, and it's wonderful to see his loving caregivers here today, including Kim. Good to see you. And also, a friend going way back all the way to the Old Stone Church, who accompanied, was accompanied by Dave Bradshaw many times, Sam Cartledge, Pastor Sam Cartledge, also, along with Blaze, received into the glorious embrace of the Lord of Glory, our risen Savior. And there are many, many of the best of us who have already made the transition and are on the other side, as Tetelestai, or as Pastor Brown properly said, Tetelestai Phalanx. I'm also grateful to hear of the ladies and your successful bake sale in which you presented well over $500 to the victims and those who endured the difficulty of the recent hurricanes. And I I followed your progress and am very grateful. If I miss anyone, I know it's because you cherish your anonymity as I do. And so greetings abound. We also want to remind you that, and this is a kind of greeting, this having to do with New Kensington, two items. First of all, until December 15th, we'll be collecting toys for the Salvation Army, which for most of you, if not all of you, is a proof of the love of God being poured out in your heart toward children that would otherwise not have that glee and delight of opening gifts on Christmas morning. So that's... Treasures for children that'll be bring them in until the 15th and I also want to say finally before we get started that We stand in solidarity and with a an effective prayer wish To our father and our Lord Jesus Christ the father of our Lord Jesus Christ for consolation to the New Kensington community To the police force, to the fellow officers and the family of Brian Shaw, who was gunned down two nights ago in the line of duty and killed. One of the things that Romans 13 says is that we are to be benevolent to our communities and so to glorify God. And so our benevolence includes prayer includes consolation, includes solidarity, standing in solidarity with the community of New Kensington, with the police force who so effectively protects the citizenry here and serves, and to the family of this fine fellow believer who fell in the line of duty. And so our solidarity and my prayer this morning was that the Father and the Son himself would console and that's from 2nd Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 16 and 17 so with these things said we'll move to the front of Romans and I want to speak today something that is to me the closest item to my heart in a single word that's Jesus Christ. Today I want to speak on Jesus Christ, the person, the person, and the event. I'll be answering the question on, especially on Sundays, but maybe throughout. Quid sit? What is it? What is Romans, the epistle? What is it? And get to the essential part of it. My immersion in Romans in, your, in my absence from you all. Was extremely profitable very challenging and as I like to say I'm a camel and my study is the eye of the needle but I'll be bringing this mainly as the Holy Spirit directs me therefore I will not be strongly influenced by writers previous writers although I will be grateful for their help I think we're going to have our own distinctive interpretation under the Holy Spirit for this epistle was not written with ink only, but with the spirit of the living God. And it's to be written on tablets, not of stone, but of human hearts, Jesus Christ, the person and the event. First of all, Romans one and then Romans 16. Romans one, one, Paul, a slave, a slave, Of Christ Jesus, effectively summoned to be an apostle. This is my translation. I'll do a translation of Romans throughout. Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, effectively summoned to be an apostle, set apart and limited to the task of preaching the gospel of God, which God promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy writings. This gospel and the sacred writings are all about his son who is from the seed of David according to the flesh or hereditary lineage designated as the son of God according to the spirit of sanctification by the resurrection from the dead through whom we received grace and apostleship to advance The obedience which is faith, please note that, to advance the obedience which is faith by all the nations for the sake of his name. Now, in what will begin to be a pincer movement from one side to the next, moving to the center, Romans 16.25, and this is a much embattled passage. That I'm going to bring into view Romans 16 25 We've read the first five verses of Romans. I'll read the last three verses of Romans now to him Who is able to strengthen you by my gospel? Please note the inclusio the gospel of God on the front end my gospel Paul's on the end on the other end and the preaching of Jesus Christ, please note That both the preaching of Jesus Christ is found in the first part and the last part of Romans. But notice this phrase, because this is interpretive of the whole epistle. According to the apocalypse of a secret, the revelation of a secret or a mystery, kept silent for ages of time gone by but now manifested through the writings of the prophets. There it is again, in the beginning and at the end. Manifest through the writings of the prophets and made known to all the nations. There's the phrase repeated again. Note the camaraderie between these two passages. Known to all the nations by command of the eternal God to advance the obedience which is faith. There it is again. (laughs) To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, notice Romans 1.1, 1, 1, Christ Jesus, and in a perfect chiastic climax, Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus, Romans 1.1, 1, 1, Jesus Christ, Romans 16.27. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be glory for the ages to come. Amen Romans the Epistle, wielded as the sword of the spirit, shuts every mouth in the world, as Romans 3:19 explicitly states, only to open them all in one voice in praise to God for his salvific mercy in Jesus Christ in Romans 156 Romans shuts every mouth in the world. Romans opens every mouth in the world. But between the shutting of every mouth under sin and the opening of every mouth in praise is the opening of God's mouth to speak in his Son, Jesus Christ. When we speak of Jesus Christ... In the context of Romans, we're speaking of a person, of course. But we're also speaking of an event. Speaking of Jesus Christ as a person, we are, in fact, speaking of him as the person. The man, Christ Jesus as First Timothy 2.5 puts it. Speaking of Jesus Christ, or saying Jesus Christ, we are also speaking of the event of God's self-revelation to all mankind. The man Christ Jesus is said with such singular power that we are confronted with the only mediator between God and all of humankind as the definitive, final, total revelation or literally apocalypse of God to humankind. And the only revelation or apocalypse of man to God For Jesus Christ reveals God to man as God, but he reveals man to God as man, as the man, Christ Jesus, in whom all are made alive. In a previous epistle, to saints, as they're called, and as we're called, in a city, Corinth, from which he wrote Romans. Paul wrote that while in Corinth, in an earlier visit, he determined to know nothing among them except Jesus Christ. Then he added, and him crucified. Paul determined at Corinth to know that is to communicate to know among is to communicate to and to communicate with nothing but the person of Jesus Christ and in no other context than Jesus Christ and him crucified no other context than in the event of his crucifixion in Jesus Christ and him crucified and only in him crucified is the person and the event that apocalyptically reveals God as love to human beings. And all human beings are revealed to the God of love in Jesus Christ. This determination of Paul in 1 Corinthians 2.2 is not only carried on through the epistle to the Romans his last epistle it's intensified therein and throughout in fact it must be said that Romans the epistle is the proclamation of Jesus Christ the person and the event according to the revelation of the mystery which though was kept silent in the eternal God for ages gone by, is now starkly manifest in the prophetic writings by the eternal God's command. A command now that comes down to us today in the 21st century with unabated power. Jesus Christ A name spoken in derision, in disgust, in surprise, in human insolence. A name derisively spoken in movies, on television, and the cosmic web of the internet. A name as if it's a receptacle for all the waste of humanity, for all that human beings find disgusting, revolting, Repugnant. All that human beings do not want in their lives and in their thoughts. They say the name of Jesus Christ as if to spit him away from them. And push him away and keep him at arm's length. And yet this same name. is the only name spoken among men under heaven, whereby men and women are saved. And it was in the event of Jesus Christ and him crucified, that in fact, and in reality, all that was repugnant Disgusting, abominable, derisive, and unwanted by God fell on him. He became all of that. He became sin. He became that by which all humanity was ruled at one time under the terrible dictatorship of sin. He became the very disfigured representation of humankind in sin. So that a disfigured humanity could be transfigured into the very righteousness of God in him, into all that is right. For God justifies the ungodly. And so... This transfiguration of us into the very righteousness of God is by a radical, epistemological, and then bodily transformation which we await. An epistemological way of knowing and thinking and perceiving and perceptiveness and intentionality is going on now through the word. If we're exposing ourselves to that word, exposing and bearing our soul to it. And we await the bodily transformation that is depicted solely and only now in Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead. For there is a resurrection from the dead that is only that of Jesus Christ. Then there will be the resurrection of the dead, all the rest of humankind, because of his resurrection. In the crucified, Jesus Christ is the representation to God, the manifestation to God, the Father, and to humankind, the human person distorted under the terrible tyranny of sin. In the crucified, Jesus Christ raised alive to God Having died to sin and its dictatorship is the representation to God and to all of humankind in all of its times. The human person, alive to God, having died to sin, the human person gloriously liberated from sin and from its ugly result, death, and its unlikely cohort the law, the Torah of God. The exceeding sinfulness of sin is its use of something from God to tyrannize humanity, the law. The crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ are distinguishable but inseparable parts of an event in which God revealed himself to humankind and humankind to himself. The death by the utterly unwarranted and unwanted crucifixion is fundamentally inseparable from the gloriously transformative resurrection from the dead of Jesus Christ, God's Son, the subject and the object of the gospel of God, of the power of God for salvation. Now, to everybody who believes, and ultimately to everybody else. The event of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and indeed his enfleshment called his incarnation, and his exaltation to God's right side, They're all inseparable, though distinguishable, members of one body, of one somebody, one person, and one event named Jesus Christ. Romans, the epistle, is all about Jesus Christ. And because it's all about Jesus Christ the all-inclusive representative of all humankind. That representative who bumped Adam from his standing and knocked him from the charts. Yes, because Romans is all about Jesus Christ. It's also about us all. For as the only person and the only event standing between all of humankind indeed standing between all created reality and the holy other the uncreated and incomprehensible God is the man Christ Jesus Jesus the Christ is the Christ of God and he's our Christ he's our Messiah the Savior of the world he stands there for us at God's right hand, but he also stands there as us for he died for us and as us and he lives for us and as us, as we live in and for and unto God in him. In one of the dazzling heights upon which we are beckoned to walk in Romans is the declaration that as the event of one man's disobedience brought death and condemnation to all the human race and made all things terribly wrong in created reality. By the event of one man's obedience, everybody absolutely Everybody receives life as the ultimate setting right, the rectification, the justification of all things. The privileged writer of Romans, whom we know as Paul in our 109 message on Better Call Paul is is an intro to Romans. He once knew Jesus Christ, he says, after the flesh. And as I remember Tony's message, this is a way of perspective and a way of perceptiveness, a perceptiveness that Paul functioned in as Saul of Tarsus. He knew Jesus Christ after a perceptiveness that was ruled by sin, after a perceptiveness that was ruled in the Adamic man, Jesus Christ was previously known to Paul, to Saul of Tarsus, after the flesh. Saul of Tarsus. He's never called Paul of Tarsus for the very reason that this Saul is now dead. He knew about Jesus Christ like so many do today, he knew the person only through the eyes of a benighted heart a darkened understanding and of human flesh ruled by sin in its most expressive and deceitful form called religion, religiosity, a flesh ruled by sin and prone to death. But when he writes Romans, he surely knows him that way no longer. He knows Jesus Christ not as a man among other men, but as the divine man who has embraced all mankind. The human who has embraced all other humans. He knows that because Jesus Christ is the one who died for all, then all died when he died. As Second Corinthians 5.14 says, the letter written just before Romans was written. Not too much distance between them. And so it is that in the crucified Jesus Christ, all died. Nobody can therefore be known by Paul or by us according to our fleshly, unenlightened perceptiveness. Because if anybody is in Christ Jesus, there's the new creation. The beginning and the end, the inauguration and the goal of which is Jesus Christ. We must understand, therefore, that Paul writes from this new perceptiveness. And it calls us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice for the transformation of our mentality and intentionality. For in the old perceptiveness, Romans will not be understood properly interpreted and God will properly not be known so we must understand that Paul writes from this new perceptiveness there is that which is called the new perspective I think more importantly there's the new perceptiveness having undergone a fundamental change in his way of seeing a radical and thorough mental and intentional transformation. It all comes from what I call the gift of obedience, which is faith. What lit up his darkened heart? What calmed the chaos of his religious being? Was the radiant and blinding splendor of the face of the crucified Jesus Christ in which radiated not only then but also now nothing less than the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. The homes and gardens and businesses of millions of people today are decorated with the image of the Buddha He is almost invariably presented with the countenance of knowledge. He has the face of a man who knows something that others do not know, but yearn to know. Perhaps his face reveals the enlightenment of nirvana. Nirvana means nothingness. Ignorance is bliss, I suppose but I'm not here to mock the Buddha or the people who have the statues of the Buddha, but only to accentuate the fact that there is there a yearning to know something yet unknown that brings some kind of peace, some kind of contentment. So perhaps the peace on Buddha's face, many times depicted with eyes closed in blessed bliss. Once in a while you see him even laughing. And it looks like he's had a pretty good meal or two. So some of us have perhaps had that bliss or are anticipating it this coming Thursday. I don't know. But perhaps on the piece on Buddha's face, Siddhartha Gautama, as his name really was, many times depicted with these closed eyes or sometimes smiling, is the peace that millions hope for. In a more and more troubling world, in more and more perilous times, chaotic and darkened times. Perhaps it's the peace that unites them with the universe, as it's called now. But the face that Saul of Tarsus saw as he approached Damascus, with a heart of violence as a harmful persecutor. The face that Saul of Tarsus saw was the face of the man who truly knew God. From Jesus Christ's face shone the knowledge of God. In his face we see the knowing of God, the beaming, brilliant, radiant face of the one who is God, but the one who is the man who knows God in whom we know God as he knows him in the face of Jesus Christ, the knowledge of God from his eyes, the love of God blazing forth seen by John as lamps of blazing flames of fire. And our God is a consuming fire. And the fire is the unquenchable love of God. Yes, in the face of Jesus Christ, we see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. For Jesus Christ is the glory of God. And he is the glory for which we hope. Let millions set in their homes and gardens and in the businesses and gardens of their hearts and in the homes of their heart. As Paul said, let Christ dwell at home in your hearts by faith. May millions is my prayer wish. Let millions set in the homes and the gardens and the businesses of their hearts and minds. This image For Jesus Christ is the image of God and the very image of humankind into whose image we are being changed as we gaze into the face that reveals the knowing of God as God and as man, the man Christ Jesus. Romans, the epistle was written by Paul, or at least dictated to Tertius, his amanuensis. But it was written not only with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. And we tend to vacate or evacuate the spirit of his substance, not considering him to be the very person and event of Jesus Christ immediately present to us in the gospel more will be said on that forthcoming the spirit of the crucified and risen jesus christ in the proclamation of jesus christ according to the apocalypse of the mystery the startling unveiling of the mystery of god's great intention and his resolute and absolute determination to sum up all things in christ and to bring all his enemies under his feet while being the very death of death. This is Jesus Christ, the death of death. So in this light, is in, it is impossible. And we'll see all the other things about Romans. In this light, in the light of Jesus Christ, it is impossible for another gospel to thrive. It is impossible that divisions rooted and rotting in human pride and bias can remain alive. In the light of Jesus Christ, the person and the event of the self-revelation of God, In that light, no other person can stay on the mantle or in the garden of our hearts as the object of our adulation. No other event can be the ultimate thing on the horizon of our memory or on the horizon of our future. of our expectation for Jesus Christ is our past we were crucified with him he is our present nevertheless we live he is our future for when he comes we will all be glorified in him Jesus Christ is our past he's our present he's our future As a pastor, I would say, stop going to and fro about a doctrine of universal salvation. And instead, look into the face of Jesus Christ, the risen Lord of glory, who is the Lord of the living and the dead, of the believing and the unbelieving, of the wise and And of the foolish. Of the Jew. And of the Gentile. Of the religiously refined. And the ruthlessly. Anarchic. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Because the former. Lord of all. Sin. Has been vanquished. In the event of Jesus Christ. In the person. Of Jesus Christ. You died. To sin. And now you're alive to God. Like Jesus is. He's not only God. He's man alive to God. He's man. Knowing God. There's no way to know God. Except to know him as he knows him. And so we are in Christ. And Christ is in us. Stop wondering about your place in a world that has no place anymore in you. Start wondering about your place in Jesus Christ and let him dwell at home in your heart where he has the prominent, the preeminent, and the place over all places even as he is in the place above all places in the ultimate height of heaven at his Father's right side. As First Peter puts it, set apart as holy the Christ as Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Jesus Christ is our hope he is the hope of glory in us as much as we are in him he is in us he is the hope in us that everybody and everything will be glorified in him and comprised of him this is the future of Jesus Christ. I'm very interested in the future of Jesus Christ because it's your future and my future, his future. It's the future of all things to be summed up in him. Paul writes with this knowledge. He doesn't come to Romans 11.32 by a long, arduous journey. He starts writing Romans knowing that God has mercy upon all and will, that he shuts up everybody in disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. Paul knows this when he writes Romans 1.1. He knows when he writes about people being handed over to their lusts that Christ was handed over for our sins. Paul knows this. He's writing in the light. I could call Romans reading Romans with the light on as a substitute title or as a second title. But in closing, let me just say that this is the future of Jesus Christ. That's what our hope is. And it's the future of all things. In fact, our hope is Jesus Christ and that our future is his future and that his future is the future of all things. And this is God's future who is to be all in all when Jesus Christ, his son hands himself and all things and all beings over to God. We have confidence in the future because the future is Jesus Christ. This and other messages then will seek to present an answer to the foundational question quits it what is it what is this Romans the epistle and father we thank you with all of our hearts all of our minds all of our being we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ and for the victory that you've granted to us in him we thank you father for the gift of faith which is our obedience And faith, fullness, which is our participation in him. We dedicate the remaining part of Romans the epistle to Jesus Christ. We dedicate ourselves and present ourselves as a living sacrifice to you. For the renewing of our minds. For a transformation So that in our very mortal flesh will be manifested the life, the living, the doing, the action of Jesus Christ. So we close today's service by expressing reverence for his name. Thanksgiving for his victory. And give glory to Him throughout the ages to come. We thank You in His name, Amen. Thank You.